I'm always amazed the older I get how much more aware I become of how fast things are changing. Anybody notice that? Like just the, the, the world that I grew up in is very different than the world my kids are growing up in. And some of those, some things are good that, that, that are different, but some things aren't. And some things are just different, different. And I was brought, I was brought to mind a couple weeks ago when I was in the house and the whole family was home from what I could tell. And I was just doing my thing, and the doorbell rang. And I had seen some of the neighborhood kids come across the lawn. They were coming to find, presumably, my daughter and my son and to go out and play. And so the doorbell rang, and I was waiting for movement in the house. Like I was waiting for one of the kids to get up and go get the door. Not a move. No one moved a muscle. It was just, it was just dead air. And I was, I'm sitting upstairs thinking, are they going to get the door? And no movement. So the doorbell rings again, nothing. And so I go downstairs. I'm like, guys, someone's at the door. And I open the door. It's the kids. And I go, is anyone in here? I'm like, it's for you. We knew that. <laughs> anyway, they shut the door. And they're like, yeah, we'll come out and play. And I was like, guys, before you, like, why didn't you answer the door? And I'm like, we don't know. <laughs> like, we answer the door. When someone's at the door, you answer it. And I'm like, why? Like, I don't know. It's called being neighborly. Just answer the door when the doorbell rings. And my daughter, who's getting too smart for her own good, she's 11 now, and uh, she's going to middle school next year. Pray for me. But she goes, well, you don't answer the phone. I'm like, whoa, do as I say, not as I do. But it's true. I got thinking about it after she went out. I was like, I never answer our landline, ever. And there's a reason for that. Anybody ha like got rid of their landline altogether? Lots of people have gotten rid of it. And for me, I don't, I rarely answer it because it always says unknown name or I don't know who's calling. And generally speaking, if I want you to call me, you have my cellular phone number. Yeah? So you answer the phone these days. And, and usually if you're answering your landline, a lot of the time it's like somebody calling you to tell you you have a virus on a computer you don't have and they really just want your credit card. Yeah? Or they're calling, they're calling, doing, doing some study, wanting to get uh, you to do a survey. They're, they're generally calling with something that you don't want. And so we now live in a time where, where we don't really answer the phone like we used to. I remember when I was a kid, I, it was like a contest, a badge of honor, if I could catch it before it rang twice. Anybody play that game? Like, you're just on it. Hello! Right? You're just on it. And now I'll get to it when I get to it. There's a reason for that. Like, I'm thinking about it. It's because if, if you go to the door or you go to the phone enough times and it turns out to be something you weren't looking for or, doesn't, or it disappoints you, you just stop taking it seriously, don't you? We live in a time where we don't take the phone call seriously. We don't even take the doorbell as serious anymore. Generally speaking, if you're going to come visit me, we have prearranged that. We don't do company anymore, do we? You don't just show up unannounced, say, hey, I popped by, I wanted to know if you wanted a visitor, right? We don't do that anymore. We now prearrange it. We know you're coming over. So if the doorbell rings, it's generally someone standing there saying, hey, are you currently happy with your cable provider? I'm like, yes, go away, right? Like, we generally just stop taking, we don't take the doorbell as seriously. And there's a reason for that. You could only answer the door so many times to, to find something you didn't want to find. You eventually just stop answering the call, don't you? Uh, it reminded me of a game we used to play uh, as a kid. Anybody ever play Nicky Nicky Nine Door? Yes, way more in the, in the 11 o'clock service than the 9 o'clock. I felt judged, y'all. <laughs> judged. Yeah, it's this game. Like, I don't know where, where you're from. I was looking it up. If you're from the U.S., you probably called it uh, Ding Dong Ditch. You go off, or, or maybe uh, from the U.K., they called it TikTok Talkie or something like that. Oh, the Scots had a cool name for it. If you're from Scotland, you called it Chicky Mele. Anyway, whatever you called it. I actually, I was like, I asked my brother-in-law, did, what did you guys call it in Colombia? He grew up in Colombia, a missionary kid. We, he goes, we called that child abduction. You don't play that game in Colombia. <laughs> and he was like, but this is the game where you like, you sneak up on the door, right? And you, and you like, you're like in the middle of the night or it's like 12 o'clock at night, enough time that people are sleeping because you really want to be a jerk. And you show up at the door and you ring the doorbell a bunch of times and you knock on the door and then you run away and you hide in the bushes and you watch them get mad. I don't know why that's such a funny game, uh, but in the mind of a 13-year-old, it's hilarious. There's some kids here, don't do that, ever. Don't do it. Don't do it in my house. We play that game. Some of you are judging me. Look, kids are soft these days. You know the real bad kids in my neighborhood actually put dog poop in a brown bag and they light it on fire and leave it on the doorstep. No joke. Kid, now, nowadays, my kids think if you leave something on the door, doorstep, it has to be Halloween candy and you got ghosted. Kids are soft. We played Nicky Nicky Nine Door, but here's the thing. There's a fatal flaw in the game. Actually, we were, so, we were so bored with it at one point, we actually tried to like 
turn on each other. Like if, if, my, if, if I was going up to the door and I was going to knock on it, my, my cousin would be like, hey, that's Brent Ingersoll at the door. He's about to knock your door. You better get up. And he'd like try to out me. But the game kind of ends when your neighborhood people just start to realize that's those stupid kids knocking on the door. So I'm, gonna, I'm just not going to answer. You stop answering after a while. And then we just kind of went away. That's kind of how it went in the game of Nicky Nicky Nine Door. There's some, there's some life lessons there for Facebook, isn't there? You stop responding, you stop giving the reaction, and they'll go away. You can keep that one. But I was thinking about how over time, if you keep going back to something and it gives you the same results, you eventually stop doing it. And I think that's a good description for prayer for a lot of us. Today, we're going to begin a new series for the next few weeks. We're talking about this concept of prayer. And we all know what prayer is. You don't even have to be a Christian today. We have some concept that it's something you do with God. And it's, 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 there, there's this thing you do. We know, we know what prayer is. And many of us know it's very important. And some of you are like, okay, well, I'm going to go hear about the fact that I should pray. But you already know you should pray. But a lot of us struggle with it just the same way we stop taking maybe the phone call or the knock on the door seriously. You've gone to that a few times and it didn't produce for you what you'd hoped it would produce. And maybe you had an experience with prayer or maybe you keep trying and it's this thing you do and it's like this standard that you can never live up to. And you look at these other Christians and you're like, wow, that person's amazing. They spend all this time in prayer. It's like they get up and they get up early in the morning and they pray and then at, at lunch they fast and at supper they pray and they sleep in tongues and you just can't keep up, right? Like it's this impossible standard. And so for a lot of us, we think about prayers. Yeah, it's something we should do. And I wish I could do it, but it's just not working for me. Every time I go to that, it's like I'm talking to the wall. It's like I'm talking behind a closed door. I'm talking to myself. And so you just eventually stop and you'll come back to church and you'll hear a new series and the pastor will get up and say, you got to pray. And you're like, okay, yeah, I got to pray. And you go back and pray. And you're like, hello, Lord. God, it's not, not home. We have this experience over and over. I'll lead the way. I mean, I've known what prayer is since I was a tiny little kid. I remember before I could even like, some of my earliest memories is praying with my, my parents tucking me in. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take, right? Like we, that's, like, we don't, we like, we like massage the lyrics to that now. Let's not talk about death, right? But it's this thing we do and we know about prayer. And yet for a lot of us, we have this struggle, this ongoing struggle with it. And even for, Someone who's insane, and eventually you, start, you stop doing that thing that's just not doing what it's supposed to do for you. Eventually you stop going to the door. Eventually you stop answering the phone when you know it's just going to be a telemarketer. I think for a lot of us, and you're probably here today, you're like, we're going to start this new series. I'm going to hear something I already know I should do. Hopefully I'll get more motivated. But really, you have this thing in the back of your mind like, yeah, I already know I should pray. Like, I'm not telling you anything you don't know. You know you should pray. I know I should pray. But here's the question. Why, when we pray, is it like we're talking to a wall? This is the question the disciples were asking. The disciples have been following Jesus for three years. They, they literally gave up everything. They left their jobs, everything. They left their homes to follow Jesus. And the point of being a disciple is to become just like the one that you follow. And so they were watching his every move, listening to his every word, mimicking his every action. They were doing everything they could to be just like Jesus. And over those few years, they saw some incredible things. They witnessed inexplicable power. I mean, they, they saw Jesus at the word of his command, at the command of his voice, a storm silenced. They saw Jesus do supernatural miracles with the elements, with, with weather, with nature. They saw the most unbelievable character in him. He was full of peace and full of passion and full of understanding and yet full of righteousness. He was just, he was different. They saw so many incredible things with him. He, he taught as one with authority and he was teaching with wisdom that no one had ever perceived or heard of before. Like they witnessed the impossible and over the years they started to notice a pattern. That every time, every time something incredible would happen with Jesus, he would pray. And every time he would pray, something incredible would happen. They didn't know which came first or after. It was almost like it was breath, like in and out and in and out. He would breathe in prayer and breathe out miracles. He'd breathe in prayer and breathe out authority. It was like his, it was like his breath. It was the rhythm of his life. It was like his left foot and his right foot working together, back and forth, prayer, power, prayer, peace, prayer, power, all the time. They noticed this rhythm and this pattern in his life, and they put together there's a connection between how he prays 
and the life we're seeing him live. And for us, what we're experiencing is different. It seems like Jesus has an open, open door to heaven. It seems like when Jesus prays, he's talking directly to God. But for us, we're, there's this separation. Our prayers just aren't the same. And so the Bible says in Luke chapter 11 that the disciples at a certain point, they've seen enough. And so they come and they find Jesus and they ask him the question. They worked up the nerve and they asked him the question. They said this. If you have your Bible, open it right up. We're going to look at this. They said, one day Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. What's he saying there? Uh, John the Baptist had disciples as well, and what, uh, what a rabbi would do is teach your disciples exactly how to do what they do. And so what's the disciple asking? He's saying, look, if we're going to pray like you, if we're going to live like you, we need to learn how to pray like you. And so they come and they ask him, Jesus, we want what you have. We want to experience what you're experiencing. We want to live like you're living. And so teach us to how to pray. We can see that it's the secret, but we can also see that when you pray, it's different than when we pray. And so show us how to pray like you. We want to know how to pray like Jesus. This is what they were asking. And so Jesus beautifully answers us. And we're going to look at how Jesus thought about prayer to help wrap our heads around what prayer is as he explains to his disciples how to think about it. Are you ready? You're with me? That is not convincing. Are you with me? All right, here we go. So Jesus says, or so the disciples say in verse 1, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, here's how we're going to do it. He said, when you pray, say this, Father, Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. In Matthew 6, it quotes the same thing. And he says it, our Father in heaven, he gives a few more words. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And the first thing Jesus says when he gets speaking about prayer and he's teaching them, okay, if you want to pray like me and you want to understand prayer like me, you have to understand this. For Jesus Prayer is first and foremost response. Prayer is our response to the call of God, not the other way around. Don't we often think of it differently? Don't we generally think, okay, I'm going to pray. Let's, let's go to God, we'd say in church, right? You'll say in church things like, we're going to go to God now. We're going we're gonna to pray and go to God. We'll, we have this idea like we're the ones calling on him. Maybe you're an old saint and you've heard that said. Or maybe, maybe you're just a girl driving on a Friday on your way to Cincinnati on a snow-white Christmas Eve, going home to see your mama and your daddy with your baby in the backseat. going way too fast. And before you knew it, you're spinning on a thin white sheet of glass. And you saw both your eyes flash before your eyes, both your eyes flash before your eyes, and you didn't even have time to cry. She was so scared. She threw her hands up in the air. Jesus, take the wheel, take it from my hands. Cause I can't do this on my own. I'm letting go. Give it up. That's generally, that's generally when we think about prayer, though, that's generally what we think. We're in some state of crisis or some state of emergency, and it's now time to see if God's home. God, God, we're spinning out here. Take the wheel. Isn't that what we think of prayer? Somehow it's us getting to God. Somehow it's us obtaining God. Somehow it's us convincing God to somehow be aware or reach into our Ford Taurus and take the wheel. That's what we think of prayer. But Jesus says, no, no, you got it backwards. Prayer is actually responding to the movement of God, not God responding primarily to the movement of you. And now we'll get to that and we'll get to calling on God later in the series, but you have to put that groundwork and realize that prayer is having a conversation with God that he has already started. 
that he's actually the initiator. And that's what the Bible says. I mean, the Bible says that it was God that got things in motion. It was God that started things. It was God that created the world from nothing, ex nihilo. He was the one that spoke things into existence. He's the one that set the earth in motion. He's the one that has a kingdom and a will and an agenda, trying to see it work its way out on earth and in your life. He is the one that for whom and by whom and through whom all things have been made. So when you think about prayer, first and foremost, you realize something. That it's not us knocking on the door. It's heaven knocking on your door. Prayer is responding to the knock. Prayer is responding to the call of God to his creation, us. That's what prayer is. According to Jesus, prayer is first and foremost responding to a conversation that God has already started. So think about it like this. Prayer isn't primarily something you have to go do as much as it is someone you have to respond to. Prayer is responding to Jesus first and foremost. He says, okay, let's get it straight. Our Father in heaven, holy is your name, your kingdom. He says what? Come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It is to recognize the flow of ultimate reality is coming from the glory and the presence of God. And he has a macro will and a micro will. And prayer is getting on God's side first before it's ever getting God on our side. And in fact, you're going to find out that God is already on your side. But prayer is primarily responding. Jesus sees God as the initiator in prayer. A lot of the time we see ourselves as the initiator in prayer, but God, God is the initiator in prayer. What if, what if we, t- we changed how we thought about prayer and instead of us thinking, I got to go find peace somewhere, we realize peace is already knocking at the door. Hope is knocking at the door. Joy is knocking at the door. Purpose, provision, all of it is knocking at the door. Heaven's knocking. That's where prayer starts, is to realize that there is a whole reality, a whole dominion of God trying to press up against us. That's what prayer is. Prayer is this recognition. It is a response to the call of God, first and foremost. Another thing I want you to see this is, is that for, for Jesus, if you're taking notes, write this down. For Jesus, prayer isn't just responding, but along with that response, there comes a submission that reorders us. It's about reordering. It's about revolutionizing how you see things, how you understand. It's about submitting your will to God. That's what prayer is. It's not just responding to a God that is already knocking, but it's actually yielding. It is to open the door and say, you have your way here. That's what prayer is. Prayer is to invite God in. It's to actually submit and it's to give God the keys and say, you're the boss. You come in. Look at look what Jesus says, Matthew 6, 10. Let's read it again. I want you to see it. Jesus says, this is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Say it out loud. Your kingdom. Whose kingdom? Your kingdom, God. And your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Where does Jesus place the focus of prayer? On him on his will, on his kingdom. That's where prayer begins. It's us getting our perspective. It's us setting ourselves back at the feet of Jesus. I'll be the first to admit, it is very easy to wake up in the morning, you know, look at your phone, catch the news, drive to work, go through your day, and go back to bed at night with convinced that the world revolves around you. Isn't that super easy? Like, oh man, this guy plays Nicky Nicky Nynor and he's a narcissist. Great. No, every message in us and around us just comes to us trying to reaffirm your importance in the universe and that things need to kind of submit themselves to how you want to see things come into order. Is that not the fight we all have? And then when things go wrong in our lives, what we do? What do we do? We call on God and say, God, where are you? Can you fix this? That's not what Jesus, that's not what prayer is to Jesus. Prayer is us aligning ourselves with the will of the Father and surrendering ourselves to it and saying, God, have your way. It's the recognition that he is God and I am not. And it's better that way. Did you know that having a self-focus puts a crushing weight on all of us that we just cannot bear? You are never made to be the center of the universe. I know you know that, but do you know it? 
When we pray, Jesus says, when you pray, first and foremost, you need to reorder everything and remind yourself he's on the throne. It's his kingdom. It's his will. It's his way. When you pray, that's what happens. It's to reorient your worldview. That's what prayer does. It reorients your worldview. It changes your perspective. It moves our perspective and our focus from us upward to him downward. And it becomes a lot easier to make sense of God if you start with him instead of end with him. What I mean by that, I mean, sometimes you're trying to do the math of your life and you look at the whole picture and like, where does God fit in all this? The easier thing to do is flip it and say, okay, there's God and everything else. And I'm going to make sense of this based on who you are, not the other way around. I just said so much there. I look like, you know, (laughs) prayer puts God first. It lets God be preeminent. It's so crucial. Prayer reorders us. It takes us back to where we belong at the feet and under the hand of the sovereign, all-powerful, almighty God. That's what prayer does. It puts the order of the universe, at least in your mind, in its rightful place. Prayer is to recognize our position. It's to realize and confess, you're God, I'm not. You see what I don't see. You know what I don't know. You can do what I can't do. You can go where I can't go. You, can, you are what I am not. You've been where I have not. You're God and I'm not. Your kingdom, not mine. That's what prayer is. Prayer is fundamentally to surrender our will and our understanding to this. God, you're God and you know best. That's where prayer begins. It's the foundation. Uh, We had a funny moment with my son. He's four. My youngest is four. He turned four at the end of April. And uh, he's at this age now where he just, he's saying the funniest and cutest stuff, right? So we're just loving to listen to him. When we were at St. Martin's on New Brunswick Day and we were eating some supper and there was like a break in the conversation, maybe even quiet for 30 seconds. I don't know how long it was. Long enough that this was just hilarious. We're all sitting there eating, not talking. And my son who's four just kind of leans back with a fry and he goes, that sounds good to me. No one was talking to him. He's just like, out of, out, of the, out of the silence, yep, sounds good to me. You know? And I was like, that is hilarious. I don't know who, like, Mel, Mel and I are like, who is he talking to? I don't know. Right? But I left there thinking, you know what? There, there, there's a level of, that's, that, that's, uh, that's prayer. Prayer is this kind of response to who God is saying, okay, God, I don't understand everything. I don't need to. Your will sounds good to me. Your kingdom sounds good to me. I don't understand it all, but that sounds good to me. That is a picture of the posture of prayer. It is to surrender your understanding and to say, you know, I don't need to. It's to surrender your will and say, your plans are better than mine. That's what prayer is. It's a that sounds good to me attitude. It's to go before your father. It's to go before God and say, God, your will, your kingdom, not mine. It's to recognize our position and it reorders our perspective. What happens when we do that, the craziest thing, what happens when we do that is God begins. I don't know if any of you have ever, ever experienced this before, but when you begin to worship and pray, what happens is he begins to reorder your perspective. And all of a sudden, the things that seem so huge and they seem to be sitting on the throne of the universe seem pretty puny to God. You ever had that experience? That it's a real gift, and you can actually do this through prayer, and you can do this through worship. Times when it seems like this great and mighty force is looming over you, and then you, you humble yourself and crowd to God and pray and learn how to worship and, and to worship through prayer, and all of a sudden, that thing just kind of gets smaller and smaller as God gets greater and greater. That's what happens through prayer. Tim Keller, in his book on prayer, I'd recommend it if you wanted some supplementary reading as we go through the series. He said this, It's remarkable that in all of his writings, Paul's prayers for his friends contain no appeals for changes in their circumstances. Paul never asks. If you read, you read through the scriptures, he never says, In God, I ask that you would make it so that the Romans stop persecuting the Christians. He never says anything. I'm sure they prayed for that, but that wasn't foremost. The things he was praying for foremost was actually what? It was a change in their perspective. He says, I pray that the eyes of your heart would be open, that you could grasp how wide and how high and how deep is the love of God. And if you could just grasp that, your response will be, whether or not it changes here, that sounds good to me. He says, you see, prayer is to realize that God will either give us what we ask 
or give us what we would have asked if we knew everything he knows. That's what it means to kind of have that sounds good to me. Well, you know, so I trust you. That's where prayer begins. Prayer begins by recognizing that God is the initiator and then recognizing God in his rightful place, putting God in his godness and saying, okay, fundamentally you're God and I'm not and it's better that way. That's where prayer begins. But then Jesus gets into the heart of prayer. Let's look at what he says next. Are you still with me? Verse three says this, he says this. Now, when you pray, set God in his rightful place, get in the flow of God's will and then say this, give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us, and lead us not to temptation. Then Jesus said to them, he, he goes further, and now he paints a picture, and this is we're going to park here for a second. He says, suppose you have a friend, and you go to him at midnight and say, friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come, and I have no food to offer him, which is a, a shameful thing in their culture. And suppose the one inside answers, don't bother me, go away. The door's already locked and my children are in bed and I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. So I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more? Say how much more. How much more will your Father in heaven give you the Holy Spirit for those who ask? Now, this is loaded with layers. And we'll look at this probably many times throughout our series. But today, for our purposes, we try to get an understanding on how Jesus thought about prayer. I want you to see something. Now, he does address what it looks like to ask. He does tell you, you need to ask God. He's good. He wants to give. He's a giver. He's not, he's not a hoarder. He's not a taker. He's a giver. That, that is in there. I don't want to say it's not. But that is not ultimately what Jesus is pointing at. He's pointing us deeper. He uses two parables. What's a parable? A parable is a, it's a literary tool. It's a story that Jesus would lay out here to try to get you to see something greater. And so he says what? He says, suppose, suppose you have a terrible friend and you're in need and you come to the friend. He says, if a bad friend knows how to answer prayer, how much more would God, who is not a bad friend, how much more? So he's talking about the relationship of a friend. And then, he, then he's talking about a father, isn't he? Did you notice that? He's talking about... If, if you who are wicked know, like, I would never give my kids something bad when they ask for something good. I'm not like that. He says, how much more will your heavenly father? And so he holds up these relationships, the friend and the father, and he's showing us a key to what prayer is. For Jesus, prayer is fundamentally and centrally about relationship. Prayer is about relationship. He's pointing us to this. He's saying prayer isn't to seek God simply as some kind of means to an end. We seek God because he is the end and beginning. And prayer is the way that we connect with God. He affirms having our basic needs met, but he's pressing us to see beyond that, that, that the end game is not to have your needs met. The end game is to meet with the one who meets your needs. The end game is not to receive a gift. The end game is relationship with the giver. It's about relationship. So it's not wrong to ask God for your needs. What's wrong? What you need to see is saying, don't, don't look past God for, the, for your needs. Look to God for your needs and realize that he is exactly who you need. For Jesus, if you're, if you're taking notes, write this down. Prayer is relationship. It's relationship. Prayer is not primarily about contending for a what, but connecting with a who. That's what prayer is. It's a connection. It's communion with God. It's not about looking for a something. It's about being with a someone. That's what prayer is. It's about intimacy with God. It's to be with God. Prayer is the door. Prayer is the way that we open the door to communion with God. It's how we invite him in. It's how we commune with God. It's how we remove the, the space between us. It's through the mechanism of prayer. And so Jesus is saying, it's, it's, it's how I relate to the Father. 
Prayer is how we relate to the Father. Prayer is how we receive from God all that he wants to. But more than that, it's not just about getting what you need. It's finding who you need. That's what prayer is. Prayer is about finding God. If you, if you, if you read any of the, the great Christian writers, even in your Bible, the people who had the most incredible lives, and we look at their life, like you look at the life of King David, and you're like, man, that guy was like a war hero. He was influential. He was a singer. Like that guy had it made. He had everything. But when you hear the cry of his heart, like in Psalm 27, 4, he says, look, I don't, I don't want my riches. I don't want my power. I don't want all these things. There's one thing I've come to want after experiencing it. I've come to find in his presence is what I want. In his presence is fullness of joy. One thing I ask, one thing I seek, that I could gaze upon his beauty, that I could be in the presence, in his temple, day and night, forever and ever. That's what I want. You see, the people who have found that prayer, they, they found that through prayer, they've connected to the, soul, the one their soul longs for most. Like the Apostle Paul in his writings, he said, look, I consider whatever, whatever might have been gained for me, I now consider lost compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Philip Yancey said, prayer is keeping company with a God who is already present. Prayer is keeping company with a God who is already present. That's what prayer is. Prayer is being with God. It's not so much about what you say. In fact, some of the best prayers, you don't say anything at all. You just be still and know he's God. It's about communion. It's about conversation. It's about being in his presence. That what, that's what prayer is. And in that, with his presence, when you invite God in, if prayer is the door that invites God in, when you open the door, his presence comes in, and with his presence, the Bible says, is fullness of joy. With his presence is freedom. With his presence is the light that illuminates your path. With his presence is fulfillment. With his presence is provision. It's all found in him. He is the point. The point is knowing him. The mistake of the girl driving with Jesus take the wheel is that she was driving in the first place. Real prayer is this constant connection and this constant invitation for God, you take the wheel. You come in my life. You come in my business. You come in my family. You come into my mind. You come in my day-to-day, -day, all my dealings. It's, it's you. You need to come. That's what prayer is. Prayer is to invent, invite God into your world. Prayer is about connection with God. This is what Jesus was getting at. He's saying prayer, prayer is about connection with God. Tim Keller goes on, he says this, Prayer is the only entryway into genuine self-knowledge. It is also the main way we experience deep change, the reordering of our loves. Prayer is how God gives us so many of the unimaginable things he has for us. Indeed, prayer makes it safe for God to give us many of the things we most desire. It is the way we know God and the way we finally treat God as God. Prayer is simply the key to everything we need to do and be in life. It's everything. Prayer is our primary point of contact with God Almighty. It's prayer. For Jesus, prayer is the door of connection with God. And when we pray, we are opening the door to our lives. This is what, this is what the disciples were noticing. They were noticing this direct line of connection and intimacy with God. They saw it in Jesus. They saw like God is, they didn't realize at the time that he was God, but God is with you. God is upon you. And they could see that day in and day out. And I, I know for a lot of us, you, you hear the disciples and we think, man, those guys were dumb. Hello, answer the phone. That's hilarious. Jesus? I'm just going to give you a pass. We think of the disciples, though. Like, they come and they ask this question, right? Teach us how to pray, Lord. Teach us how to pray. I'm like, well... They obviously didn't know anything about prayer. That's, that's, that's incorrect. These guys were Jews. These guys prayed every day. They prayed twice a day. The Shema, they recited the same prayer every single day, you know, reordering their lives and setting it before God. Like they knew prayer. These guys prayed every single week. They went to synagogue. They did not miss. That is crazy. Is that, is that God really calling? They didn't miss. They went every single week. They didn't watch online. They, they, they went every week. They went to the temple every year. This was the one place that if they're ever going to get really close to God, it was at the temple. They were right on the doorstep at the temple. That's where God lived. That's God's house. See if he's home. 
See, these guys knew. I mean, they knew the story they were in. They knew the story of in Genesis when God created the heavens and the earth and how God made us in his image and God made us to connect with him, that we were supposed to be in intimate union with him, that, that God freely in, interacted with Adam and Eve. And then we find they knew the story about the, the, the separation through sin. They, they knew the story about how when Adam and Eve sinned, the door to God's presence was closed and they were even kicked out of the garden and the, the, the garden was guarded. They could not pass. They could not get into the presence of God. And they knew that. They knew that story. And they knew the story of Exodus and they knew the story of Leviticus, how God created the system and made a temple and a space where they could at least get close and through sacrifices and atonement, they could kind of get close. They knew that story. They knew the story about, about Moses and they knew their, their history and how God had provided when they needed. And yet for them, prayer always had a barrier. There was always a barrier between them. The closest they could get was the, the inner core, the Holy of Holies. In the Holy of Holies, there was actually a curtain that separated us from God. And only once a year could the high priest, after immense and intense ritual and cleansing, and even then they would die because of the incompatibility. Sometimes they would even die. They would go in with a rope. But there was this permanent connection or disconnection between them and God. And so when they saw Jesus praying, they're like, why is it you seem to have direct access? And they, they, they witnessed that day where Jesus was baptized by John the Baptist. And you think about this now. The Bible says that Jesus was baptized by John the Baptist. And while he was praying, it says, while he was praying, while he was praying, he came up out of the water. And then what's it say? It says, the heavens tore open. Heaven opened. The door of heaven opened on Jesus. And then what's it say? It says, the spirit descended upon him and rested upon him. Connection. And he went in the spirit. And now here's the thing. The disciples saw that you're connected to God. You're connected to God. But here's the crazy thing. Jesus never came to show us how to pray. He came to make prayer even possible for us. See, Jesus did not come here so that he could talk to God. Did you know that? He did not come to earth so that he could get close to God. In fact, he was was giving up his rightful place as God. He was leaving what was his, disconnecting himself from the Father. That's what he was doing. And so the disciples saw this connection, and yet, as Jesus got closer and closer to the cross, what was happening? Anybody know the story of the Garden of Gethsemane? Jesus, there praying with sweats like, sweat like drops of blood, crying out to God, knowing what he was about to do, knowing that he was going to die, knowing that he was going to the, to the cross and where, where, where his connection with God would be severed because of the, our sins. He prays to God and he cries out and says, he says, Father, take this cup from me. God, God, are you there? Are you home? No answer. He prayed three times, nothing. And then he says, not my will, but your will be done. And he gets up and he goes from there and the Bible says that he is, he's murdered on a cross and as he's hanging with his last breath, he cries out. First he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Disconnection, alone. Why have you forsaken me? And the Bible says he gave up his spirit and when he did, what happened? The Bible says that the curtain in the temple ripped in two. The curtain opened, and the open heaven that was upon Jesus had just been poured out upon all of us. And that when you put your faith in Jesus, you see, Jesus did not just come to show the way to pray. He came to make the way to pray. You see, the disciples couldn't actually pray like we can pray because Jesus' blood had not been spilled. Jesus did not come so that he could have community with God. He did not come so that he could connect with God. He came so that we can connect with God. This is what he was talking about in John 10. He said, look, I am the door. I'm the door of salvation. You, you come in through me. It's the only way to God. That's what he meant when he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but through me. Reconnection is found in Jesus. He says, I've come that you would have life and life to the full. I came to open the door and let the flow of heaven through me, the life and the peace and the joy and the forgiveness and the grace and the renewal and the resurrection, all the things of heaven, they actually flow through me. I am the door. I have been arrested with this thought this week and I've never thought about it this way before, but Jesus died so I could pray. Like that's at the heart of why he died. 
He didn't die so that we could come up to the door and stand there and not have answers. He didn't die so that we could just kind of get close and put our ear to the door and hope that we can decipher messages from heaven. No, he died to tear open the barrier between us and heaven to actually make a way so that you and I could be reconciled to God. That's why Jesus died. And so that you and I can pray and we can actually directly connect with God Almighty. You don't have to go to the priest. He's not your interpreter. Your connection to God is the great high priest named Jesus, the door of salvation. You, right now, in all your brokenness and all your bustedness and all your ignorance and not even knowing, I don't even know how to pray. You don't have to. You need to know who to pray to. It's Jesus. He is the door. He is the way. He is the reason that you and I can even pray. This is what he was getting at when he was talking about prayer. Prayer is about relationship, and he was pointing already to what he was going to do on the cross. Prayer is about us connecting with God. Jesus did not come so that he could connect with God. He came so that we could connect with God. Like, feel the weight for one minute on this. You being able to come to the Father and talk to him freely without any barrier of sin, no barrier of shame, no barrier of condemnation, That was worth dying for to Jesus. That was worth him going through your sin and my sin and our judgment and our wrath, being cut off from that communion with the Father that he had only known since before creation. It was worth his death for us to pray. And so Jesus stands, Revelation 3 says, I stand at the door and knock. Here I am, I stand at the door and knock, and if anyone hears my voice, I'll open the door, I'll cut, and they open the door, and they open the door. I will come in and eat with that person, and they with me. I stand at the door and knock. Now, let me ask you a question. If, okay, there's, there's a couple doors now. Because if Jesus is the door, then what door is he knocking on? Is he, he's not knocking on himself. What door is Jesus knocking on? He says, I stand at the door and knock. There's this cool story. I don't have time to look at it today, but there's this cool story. After Jesus rises from the dead, the Bible says that he showed up in a room where the disciples were and all the doors were locked. He just shows up, bing! That'd be freaky, wouldn't it? Like we locked the door and you just walked through the wall. Okay, that's one I haven't seen before. And he shows up and through locked doors. It means what? There are no locked doors that Jesus can't go through. And yet he has this encounter with Thomas and he says, Thomas, you need to open up your heart and believe. You need to open up your heart and believe. You see, the only locked door to Jesus, the only closed door to Jesus is you and is me. And it's the times we shut him out and say, not today, not now. That's the only locked door. He's saying, if anybody hears my voice, they hear my call and they hear my knock, I will come in. That is what prayer is. Prayer is us hearing the call of God and responding to it. The king is at the door. The king is at the door. Jesus, our Lord, is at the door. The bread of life is at the door. The light of the world is at the door. The Son of God is at the door. Peace is at the door. Joy is at the door. Hope is at the door. Provision is at the door. Meaning is at the door. All the things that your heart most deeply desires is at the door, and he knocks. He says, will you let me in? And we do it through prayer. I'm going to invite the band to come back, and we're going to respond. And here's all I want to do today. I came to ask us a question. What if it really is God knocking at the door of our hearts today? And some of you, even as I've been speaking, you haven't even really heard a lot of what I've said. All you know is there's something in your spirit that that is awakening. You can even sense as I speak right now, you can hear God calling. You can hear his voice getting louder. He desires you. What if it really is God knocking at the door and our job isn't to convince him of anything, it's simply to let him in through prayer. It's every day to open the door and say, Jesus, come in. Jesus, come into my life. Jesus, come into this situation. Jesus, come into this scenario. Jesus, come into this hour. Jesus, come into this meeting. Jesus, come into this relationship. It's every day in every way, swinging the door open and allowing him to come in. A couple of things we're gonna do over the next 
few weeks as we journey in this. First, I'm calling us to pray daily, calling us to a daily prayer. Everyone should have had one of these on their seats. You'll see them online, those of you who are watching online. Every day at 11.01, I want you to take your phone and I want you to set a daily reminder to, to ding at 11.01. I want to mobilize our church that every day at 11.01, we pause and we pray. Even if you're in a meeting and you just have to lift up a silent prayer to say, God, hello, I hear you knocking. Every day at 11.01 for the next month as we go through this series, I want you to just make, a, make an appointment with God. So at 11.01 every day, we also have a 21-day prayer guide where we are going as a church to open the door of prayer over certain things. And we're going to invite God's kingdom to invade. We're going to actually agree together over 21 days on the same things. It's going to be so powerful. I just believe that this is a season where God is calling us as a church to open the door wider than ever before, to be more intentional, to invite Jesus deeper into us than ever before, that we would come to a new place of connection and communion with him. That's what I feel God is inviting us. I hear him knocking for us. Do you hear? I hear him knocking, King's Church. I have more for you. And I hear him knocking for me as an individual. I hear him calling me deeper. And some of you might even sense that right now in you. You just have, you have something awakening. That is him knocking. Here's what I want to do. This is a holy moment. And I just felt God wanting us to kind of do a physical act that would almost declare to God. It's almost us answering the door of our lives. And we're here, that we're hearing him knock. And that as we hear him knock, that we would actually come to the door. And it's already open. We come to the door as an act like we're opening the door to, of our lives and saying, God, I want more of you. I want to know you more. I want to go deeper with you. I want you to come in. I'm inviting you into this season. I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what you're praying for. I don't know what you're contending for, but I do know this. Jesus stands at the door and knocks, and if you will, he will come in, and he will decide what to do. And whatever that is, it sounds good. Amen? And so here's what I want to do. As the band plays, my simple instruction is this, and I want you to take this seriously. I believe this is a sacred moment, and I believe it's prophetic. And I believe as you respond it's going to shift something and there's going to be a, a, new, a new door to a new season open in your life. And you are calling out back to God. You say, God, I hear you calling me and I'm inviting you now. And as we sing, I'm going to invite you to stand up. And I'm going to invite you to come down this aisle right here on, this, on my right, on your left, and to come up to the door. And just one by one, whoever feels prompted, they feel like, God, you're calling me to more, and you hear, I don't know what it looks like. I don't totally know all the details. All I know is I hear your voice, Lord, and I'm saying, I hear you, and I'm letting you in. I don't know what it means. I just, I'm responding, and I can't not respond anymore. Your knock and your call is just getting too loud. And as, as you respond, I'm going to invite you to come up and to come up to the door, and almost in a moment of prayer, this is our prayer. It's going to be a prayer of permission to God to say, you be God, I'm not. You come into this season. And we're going to, as a prophetic act together as one church, I'm going to invite you, only if you mean it, to come up and walk through the door as a signal to God saying, I'm inviting you into this season like never before. Come, Lord Jesus. And so I'm going to pray for us. Uh, while you are doing that, Dan's going to lead us. And I believe God is going to prompt a bunch of you to come up and say, Lord, I, I hear you knocking, and I'm coming to the door, and I'm letting you in. So let's sing. And you guys can come as God moves. Answer the door.
a season of renewal, a season of refreshment. been in church for ages, God. I pray today in Jesus' name, an open door to a brand new season. In Jesus' name, Lord, I pray for the one today that they just came to church, they didn't know what they're doing, they're walking in a line through a door. God, I pray they gave you that inch and you take a mile in Jesus' name. Lord, we just say a new season of open doors over King's Church. Lord, we open the door wide for you to do a new work, to move through us. Lord, when people see King's Church, would they say the same things the disciples said? God's with you. The Spirit's on you. Something's different. What's up with you? Father, we pray that you would, in new measure, dwell in us and dwell upon us. God, wake us up in the morning. Give us dreams in the night. Give us words in the day. Lord, as we open up our lives to you, would you enter in? Would you break through upon us in Jesus' name? In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. Say it again, amen. Hey, we hope you enjoyed the message today. If you want to stay up to date, go ahead and click subscribe to follow us on YouTube. And hey, if you want to partner with us in getting these messages farther, you can go to our website and find out ways that you can give and help us get the good news of Jesus further than ever before.